0: Hey, hey everyone, welcome back to the Phil Drysdale Show. Um, We have just had a week hiatus. Um, I I know if you only listen to the podcast, that'll come as a bit of a surprise. You might've been missing any podcast last week. Um, If you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that I just have had a bunch of different health things coming up and I just really needed to take a week off and focus on that. I'm still not 100%, so I'm not gonna be um, firing on all cylinders um, over the next week or so, I don't think um but we were putting out a podcast I'm gonna put out a podcast a week I think for the rest of this month I'm gonna take it relatively easy um yeah I've had a whole bunch of different stuff if you've been following me for a while you know I had a, a whole host of health stuff over Christmas and and the new year periods with my chest and they're not sure whether it was heart or lung related or, or what else might have been going on and um I've had some of that going on and and more recently i've had a bunch of different headaches and and having kind of weird visual kind of um abnormalities and things like that kind of almost migrainey and stuff so not sure what's going on i took last week off trying to like rule out some stress and just at least release uh, or reduce stress um if that's any form of factor um i'm still not feeling great i'm still not 100% well um and so bear with me while i while i kind of uh, get things back up and running um Luckily, I had recorded some amazing podcasts. And so we've got a great podcast this week with Bradley Onishi. And we've got a great podcast next week with Alice Gretchen. And so um, you've got some great stuff in store. If I can record anything else in the meantime, I, I will and I'll get that out to you um, I plan to post here and there on Instagram as usual, and I'll predominantly be um, active on the, on the Patreons Discord. Um, when I have time, I'm going to jump on there and try and join in the conversations. I'm, I'm not keeping up at all on there. Um, it, it moves far too quickly and, and there's way too much discussion for me to catch up on entirely, but that's where I'll be trying to um, catch up when I do have time. Um, uh, yeah. I'm doing, doing what I can, and I appreciate all your patience, your support, your kind, encouraging messages. Um, it means a great deal to me, and I, I, I do appreciate it. Today, we've got Bradley Onishi. I'm really excited. He's an associate professor of religion. Um, he also uh, co-hosts the Straight White American Jesus podcast, um, and we had a great conversation uh, a couple of weeks back now. Bradley had some internet connection issues early on. Um, there there were a couple points where his voice breaks out and, and two points the internet completely cut out. Um, they're both really early on. So after about the 13 minute mark, everything goes completely normal and fine. And so if in the first 10 minutes you're thinking, oh this is a bit annoying, don't worry. It clears up. You can even jump ahead if, if it's too much for you. It's not too bad at all. Um, I'm always over apologizing for the quality of this show. Uh, people tell me. But Bear with it if it is annoying. Um, This is a great conversation. You're gonna really enjoy it. Bradley is a phenomenal mind. He he has so much great stuff to share um, and I'm really excited to share that with you. Um, As always at the beginning, just wanna let you know the Deconstruction Network is a great resource. If you haven't plugged into that, please do. It's completely free. It helps people connect with other people that are deconstructing locally in their area. If that sounds like something up your street, do check it out it's completely free the deconstructionnetwork.com and if you want to help me run these kind of free resources like the deconstruction network i've got the grace course for um, people that are wanting to deconstruct within some form of christian vein um, i put out lots of other resources to podcasts other t- teaching videos things on youtube um, i spend hours a day talking to people and helping them on their deconstruction journey if you want to help support me in that process you can do that over at patreon it's patreon.com slash phil drysdale or phildrives.com slash partner. Um, They're both the same thing. Um, And as a thank you, you get access to our private discussion group. We do regular Zooms and video calls. We just had a Zoom this weekend about the afterlife, and that was really fun. Um, If you can hear the construction work in the background, um, uh, bear with that. (laughs) Um, yeah it'd be um, a great honor to have you in that conversation uh over on the discussion group um and in our zoom calls and our voice chats we've got a voice chat this week as well um it'd be great to have you in i usually do those every week or two for a couple of hours um so yeah it'd be great to see you there i'll leave that there let's jump into the conversation with bradley onishi well i i'm really excited so i have to confess i had heard of your podcast a lot and uh i I'm really bad. I, I do a podcast. I don't really listen to many podcasts. I love yeah. them, but I just don't get the yeah. time. Um, and so yeah. I'd heard of your podcast and I've gone at some point, I'm going to check this podcast out solely based on the premise of the name. I'm excited. Um, <laughs> I, 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 and I hadn't got ran to it. And and it was only because I had so many of my patrons going, dude, could you have Bradley on? Like he's, he's great. Like, y- you want to have him on. And so, and, and then I just started hearing your name more and more over the last kind of couple months. And I was like, okay, I really need to kind of um, start exploring your work stuff, and I, I'm excited. I mean, just kind of reading a bit about you, listening to a couple episodes, um, you know, seeing what some of your books are about, seeing some like little pieces that you've written here or there. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a fun conversation. We we, no. we get excited about a lot of the same things, so I'm really excited. No, I,
1: it's same thing to you. I've I've heard it's the same thing. Like exact, you know, uh, always trying to tell me, you know, hey, Phil's doing this amazing stuff. Other people it's it's a very similar story so that's very cool
0: yeah we we all we all are juggling so much stuff and there's so many people in this space now which is really exciting because it doesn't feel like that's always been the case i think a lot of it is just discovering new language creating new environments that people gather around and um i don't think this is a new phenomenon too much actually yeah Um, yeah but uh yeah it's, it's exciting so i am all ears, this episode, I do talk a lot. So brace yourself. Okay. But um, okay. but I really want this to be the Bradley show. I want it to be whatever you want to say, however you want to be. You can say it however you want to say it. You can cuss, you can dance, you can swear, you can do whatever you want. Um, <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> you, you can't shock my audience. Um, and if you do, I'd be delighted. You know, there's a, there's okay. <laughs> a, a bonus prize if you manage to shock enough of them. Um, and so yeah, just be yourself, enjoy yourself. How are you doing for time? I want to really make sure we don't push your day too much. I know you've had a long day. Yeah, it is.
1: I'm good for. Um... You know, ninety minutes or so. I don't know if that's enough Perfect. time. Is that enough? That's great. Okay. No, that'll be All great. Right.
0: Well, we'll probably okay. get there and then realize, oh, it's so fair. We have to finish up. But <laughs> it depends. If if it's dragging, we'll finish up before. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, that's fine too. That's
1: that's that's fine. And I I feel bad because I know I know you're up late. So I hope that you know I hope no, you're it's okay. Great. I, you I,
0: used, I I usually go to about three a.m. So uh, oh my the, god, the perils of oh working god. predominantly with Americans. And so um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I've
1: been there. I mean. UK and
0: i yeah so yeah well I, I saw that in your uh i saw a bio somewhere of you that you you know grew up in california involved in california youth pastor all that kind of stuff but also you'd lived in the uk you'd lived in france we're just starting by the way i don't even know i'll at some point yeah. find a point where i cut but um yeah. oh. what what was that like for going from you know um the world of american christianity and the uh, you know the american culture had you traveled much before you moved over to the uk
1: no, I had not. And I, um, so I, a couple things. So I grew up in Southern California and then I went to Azusa Pacific University, which is only half an hour from where I grew up. And I was in full-time ministry as soon as I got there. So by the time I was 18, I was in full-time ministry. I was a full-time student. Um, if you fast forward two years later, I'm at the, mega, the same church, but now I've been elevated to the full-time youth pastor. So I'm now 20. I'm married. I'm in full time ministry and I'm a full time student. If you fast forward about three more years, uh, my then partner and I are just feeling claustrophobic. We have been in the same church, the same town, the same place, adult life, and we need something new. Well, as an athlete, a basketball player, I wanted to study theology. This was my way out. You know, I, I, my way out of being a minister, of being a missionary, I thought, this is an acceptable path, you know, yep. off, right? And uh, so we decided we were going to try to do an adventure. So let's apply to places in the speaking world, and um, maybe it'll work out. Uh, so I looked in, in various places, looked at Australia, looked at, you know, wherever, but uh, decided on the UK. And uh, my first trip outside of North America was in 2004, and uh, we went to London and Oxford and Edinburgh, and we're just wide-eyed, annoying Americans who had no idea what was going on in the world (laughs) at all. Um, And And a good time to be traveling as an
0: American coming to Europe. Oh, my God. um, Best time to come, 2004, you know, right in the middle of like George Bush, Iraq, everything. Yeah. No upset yeah. about that
1: at all. Believe me.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, it was, it, it, it was bad people, people, and, and the, yeah, it was bad. And um, so I had set these meetings with professors and I get to Oxford and I have no business being there. I am not, I don't come from a family where my parents, I went to a small Christian college. I am not supposed to be at Oxford university and we are very I'm wearing a suit and tie, which I'm overdressed as Americans usually are overdressed <laughs> at the wrong time. And underdressed at the, at the other time. And I go to meet this very famous theologian whose books I had read in preparation. And my ex-wife had come with me. And when he was coming to the door, he's the President's Park College, Oxford. uh, She panicked because she was in a t-shirt and ready for this meeting. And she didn't know what to do. So he opens the door and he says, oh, Bradley, hello, you've come a long way. And I, I said, yes. And I didn't know where she went. And I thought, okay, I guess she's, uh, I guess she just was able to hide. And now we're going to go inside and talk to the, and then he says, Bradley, before we go in, I want to know who's in the shrubs. And I look over and she's just hiding in the, in the shrubs, like waving that's at us.
0: That's incredible. So
1: she comes in and she was an English major and they had a great talk about 19th century British literature. And I think that's the only reason I was ever admitted to Oxford university was that whole event. So the, that's the how The crazy that
0: woman hiding in the shrubs kind of yep. like won them over for you. Yeah.
1: Yep. That's how,
0: so that's how I got to, to do that. Yeah. It's so true. If you've ever been involved in hiring, um, sometimes you get through enough people that it is uh, who was that guy? Oh, the guy who had the, the woman hiding in the bush. Yeah. He was great. Yeah. Like that's enough of the trigger that you became much more memorable than the guy that just was wanting to transfer across from Cambridge or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Also a rower or whatever else they're looking for at Oxford. <laughs> I had no
1: business being there. None. And yet
0: that's uh, incredible. Somehow, somehow
1: it worked out. Yeah.
0: So. Yeah. Wow. So were you quite. Um, quite uh immersed still within your kind of conventional christian uh beliefs and things when you went over to the uk
1: yeah i was you know i really thought of my you know at the time my plan was to study trinitarian theology so i was going to study Karl bart and uh, jürgen Moltmann. and and uh, you know without getting into theological weeds angelical those are kind of the pushing the limits a little bit you know when i would oh, yeah those are the bad that boys. i was interested in Karl. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was like I was getting I was a rebel. And, you know, you look back and you're like, Carl bart that's the rebel. But so, you know, very soon after moving there, um, it was clear, you know, all of a sudden I'm in I'm six thousand miles from home. We are out of ministry for the first time in seven years. Right. Um, Able to explore what it is we actually Mm. think and believe and who we want to be in the world. And very soon it became clear that a my faith was going to deconstruct way more quickly than I thought. I thought I would end up being like a liberal Episcop- a liberal Episcopalian, liberal Episcopalian, maybe a, a social justice Methodist. I, I, you know, I really sort of saw my path there. Right. Um, that didn't happen. I quickly became allergic to church; just couldn't even sit through mm. it. And uh, my our relationship just changed, and we realized we were better friends rather than as partners. Very quickly she left uh god left and my two soulmates were no longer in my life the two ones mm, were gone wow. and i was just sort of figuring it out and uh so i went from carl bart to like french phenomenology and french philosophy you know the Der- from Karl Barth to derrida and that was really nice. when the, the <laughs> folks at home knew they, they knew then I, I had lost it it was over oh, at that point
0: you're reading derrida the shit has hit the fan yeah like, it was bad nobody yeah. gets derrida like you know you just read that for like you know I don't know, existential dread and despair. Um, What is what yeah yeah no when i
1: i i don't read much dairy dot now but when i do i'm like i'm gonna die soon why am i wasting my time trying to figure what this i should go drink a beer on the beach why am i trying to figure out what this says
0: anyway oh, i love it i love it it's amazing yeah well I, i guess there's so many different triggers that can do this for people right i mean there's there's big political things like trump or the pandemic or maybe the war in iraq right it was a big thing for a lot of people and 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 these kind of things where you know you've got bush saying we're going to bomb the wall to hell in the name of god you know and it's suddenly some christians go wait bombing people in the name of god that doesn't click or whatever it might be you know and that's why yeah. um you know might be that you have a son that comes out gay it might be that you know whatever you know these different things black lives matter explodes and yeah. you suddenly are aware of this the conversation has been going on forever <laughs> um and that triggers you but it's it seems such an uh, innocuous like it's such a such an innocent thing to travel and just to visit a new place and it can be such a spark um and yeah. i know you've got a lot going on here you know you, you're going through a lot as you as you, you're going into a secular university to explore kind of religion and and philosophy and these kind yep. of things so that's a big deal um but but also just going into a different world the uk you know is a very different place to the us yeah. in a lot of ways certainly as far as the religious makeup you suddenly show up on the shores of a country that largely is atheist at that point early 2000s yeah. Yeah um talk talk to me about some of the kind of key components that like maybe cause things to start to fall apart like it, you know if, if yeah. you want to go if I, I don't know how much you've told this story as well and so if you feel like oh gosh this is a bit done uh, we'll obviously have oh some no. interesting points but no um, not at we can dive into no. some other stuff as well so <laughs> we won't we'll no, not at all I I... your life story all the time so.
1: oh i'm happy to talk about it i you know this is going to sound strange but um my college oxford was a baptist college um it's the only sort of non-anglican college and and it's strange to people that that actually i think helped me because Baptists are not like american baptists so when Mm -hmm. i got there a lot of the people i met were theologians were training to be theologians training to be baptist ministers in the uk drank alcohol many of them were affirming of of lgbtq folks um many of them uh were not uh into purity culture, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they—it was kind of a soft landing for me—that instead of on the shores of a, um, a, a sort of secular humanist, um, you know, place that was rife with things that I, I didn't know. These people were very familiar. They were Baptists. They were trying right. to be in ministry. They wanted to serve Jesus, and yet they drank alcohol. They—they they were LGBTQ affirming. They weren't into purity. They talked openly about sex and relationships in ways that I was like, that doesn't sound okay. I were well, and all of a sudden. <laughs> I started to rethink everything. And like I said, I really thought because of them, I would end up, you know, a Baptist or a social justice Methodist or mm. a liberal, uh, you know, Anglican. I re- And I went to those churches, was there. And then all of a sudden I realized, hey, you know, I believe in social justice and I believe in affirming people and I, I believe in all those. Things and I just don't need to get up on Sunday to go affirm it and to go proclaim it I'm, right. I'm actually good and i'm not that's no criticism of folks who do it, it just means for me personally i realized within about six months oh i'm gonna sleep in on sunday i haven't done that in 11 years i'm going <laughs> to um sort of explore how i can make the world better but not do it through the church i'm gonna do it in ways that that um, are gonna work for me and the freedom there was so new it was so to feel like I could explore every avenue of theology, but also social practice. And I, it, this has sounded weird, but it almost helped me that I was doing so in a Baptist environment.
0: Mm. It's
1: almost like when you let a kid play at a playground and there's a fence around the playground and you're like, okay, just you're good within the fence, go see it. And then when they're old enough to see, you know, without, without supervision, I needed that sort of like free. Well, I still I, you know, I, I still have very warm feelings towards Regis Park College at Oxford, which, you know, I noticed some people may seem a little strange because um, it's a very Baptist place and I've deconstructed fully. I, I'm no longer a Christian and all that stuff. But I look at it as a place that helped me understand that there was a new way of being in the world. And I also I also give it credit for opening my eyes that there are ways to be a person of faith that are not as toxic as as, you know, how I view many uh, evangelical spaces and other spaces. There's people who are trying to be people of faith who are uh lgbtq affirming who are are recognizing um complicity with white supremacy and so on and so forth and so mm. um that helped me a lot and it really set me on the path where i'm today um uh which is not even as a theologian it's a scholar of religion who has just a completely different approach to his work but um that's kind of how it happened at, at the start it, it also set me on a path and i think maybe this is something we can talk about too is i really had to figure out who i was apart from My wife, I mean, we were Mm. high school sweethearts. You know, in the Christian evangelical frame, we were soulmates. We were meant to be together. We were our only um, real relationships that either of us had ever had. Uh, We had done the purity culture thing. We had been pretty close to, to, you know, getting through unscathed on the purity culture scale. And all of a sudden, I'm divorced. And Mm. I'm like, I have no. Um, I have no Christian identity. I mean, the people at home lost their minds. I mean, my old megachurch, they just, they just could not understand what had happened to Brad in six months. I mean, good Lord, you got divorced. We get, we see MySpace pictures of you drinking beer. Uh, You are (laughs) out here studying French philosophy. Uh, You have really turned from the golden boy of the megachurch youth ministry into this, uh, this person we're warning our children about, you know, so, yeah. you know, that
0: happened pretty quickly. It's it's incredible to me. And, and I think it's interesting that trajectory, because I, you know, I mean, I work with people and my, my job is helping people go on this journey, whatever it looks like. And as you said, people end up in different places, right? Um, but it feels like a huge portion of people almost have an idea. Once they start to see this ball rolling, they've got an idea and almost always the idea is, oh, I'm just going to become probably a more progressive Christian. And often it's because maybe some of the key issues on the table are things like social justice and certain things, which of course, more progressive Christian spaces are going, well, yeah, we still believe X, Y, and Z about God, but we would like to include some black people a bit more in leadership. And we believe this way, you know, about God, but we're not gonna be homophobic and transphobic. And and so for a lot of people that kind of ticks boxes. They're not overly debating the kind of the, the existence of God or the structure of atonement or, you know, anything like that. They're just kind of wanting to be a bit more open and inclusive and loving. It, you know it's kind of a bit of a trite like you know they want to be a bit more like jesus and they have to kind of leave their churches to do yeah, it that's uh, right but it, it's fascinating to me how quickly that that occurs like i mean that that's a that's a rapid spiral i mean I, I work with people all the time and i would say six months is a pretty quick spiral as far as most people's journeys often that takes years to unravel and kind of flesh out and people are doing that do, do you think that was because you were in such um Kind of an intellectual space as well that you were doing that work kind of like in your day to day as well. You, you had the space the time or or do you attribute it to other things? I mean, your divorce. I mean, that's that that speeds things up. That
1: <laughs> yeah, the questions. Yeah, that'll that yeah. yeah that that'll change your identity, right? All of a sudden, all of a sudden, I was um, I was a different person in my own mind, right? Just because of the divorce. So that was that was one thing. Mm. I would say another though is I the intellectual part of me means that i always do things so hardcore and so uh extreme uh, extremely that i ruin them right that's Mm -hmm. what i always say like i'm the oldest brother my middle brother he converted to christianity was able to sort of become this as i've said progressive anglican that's that's where he is today he's a middle brother he never went so hard into purity culture and youth group and -hmm. ministry that he ruined it and that and and i'm i'm being kind of facetious here but I am so built that, like whatever I do, I'm gonna like learn everything there is to know about it. I'm gonna read every book. I'm gonna listen to every tape. And I and so when I started to deconstruct, it was like, okay, let's read all the theology. Oh, there's a social gospel. Cool. Let's read <laughs> all of it. There's there's Christologies that say that Jesus was not this um, this cosmic Christ who who was wielding hell over everyone. He was a, a an inclusive, uh, justice oriented. Uh, you know, radical, great. And by the time that six months was over and I digested all that theology and all that philosophy, and I'd read about every denomination and where we got Methodism and where we got Baptists and where we got Presbyterians. And it was like, okay, I'm good. I'm good. I'm done. I've realized I've cataloged it all. I've got all the index cards and the binders and I'm done. I'm, I am no longer going to go. I'm going to try to explore the world in every way I can I want to ask questions about meaning and transcendence and love. I want to ask questions about uh, authenticity and care. I want to form community with people who are doing the same, but I'm just not going to do it at church. I think I'm just good now. And and that's kind of how it went. And don't get me wrong, the, the emotional fallout of the divorce took much longer than six months, But um, sure. but I think intellectually, I got there pretty quickly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What what drew you to kind of French philosophy? I mean, obviously f- French is a juggernaut of philosophy. I mean, it really is. Um uh, the, the French love to sit around and think it's all the it's all the wine and bread. Um <laughs> I mean, what else are you gonna do while consuming huge, you know, baguettes and uh, drinking yeah. wine? Um but you know i mean you're in, you're in england there's some phenomenal english philosophy yeah. that you could explore yep. scottish philosophy you know yeah. um you know there's there's especially reading some of your stuff i mean i know you kind of exposed a lot of postmodern philosophy i mean yeah. there's a lot of great postmodern philosophy outside and beyond france like what what was it that drew you to that kind of um avenue like what what ideas and thoughts were grabbing you at that time
1: you know i was really interested in the fact that so many french philosophers were atheist they had accepted the death of god Mm. and yet they were still completely preoccupied by questions of transcendence and questions of um sacrality right so they wanted they wanted to understand how life could be sacred even though god is dead and Mm. that that is that is I, i just that's what i wanted to explore right i mean okay so god is dead and yet life can still be sacred. How does that work? Mm. And that's 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 how I got there. So I, I did my work in, in England. Um, I went back to the States, but then I actually ended up in France twice to study and to learn and got a degree there. Because like I said, I do things so extremely, I ruin them. So of course, that's what I did. And um, ended up basically writing a dissertation on French philosophers who were atheists, and yet were uh, heavily invested in like 14th century mystics like why would mm. a why as you said why would a french philosopher sitting in a cafe smoking a cigarette and 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 drinking an espresso be reading a 14th century mystic and it was all because they wanted to understand how life could be sacred even though they had divested themselves uh,
0: of any belief or practice when it came to a, a theistic god mm. uh, unpack that for me talk about talk about um life being sacred like what what does that look like in your eyes? I know I'm asking incredibly no, like uh, no. I'm giving you I'm giving you nice uh, simple balls to hit because I know you've got a book <laughs> about this and everything. But like, I, I'm fascinated because because I think that can mean so much to so many people and so many people even just hear the word sacred and go like oh, oh yeah you know like, for they're, they're, sure clean me off with a hose I, I don't want that on me um, and so talk to me about that like you talk to me about how does a, a, a French atheist approach that? How does someone that's recently started to deconstruct and deconvert yeah. from their faith go, Ooh, yeah. sacrality? Like that yeah. sounds fascinating. Yeah. I want to explore yeah. that.
1: Let's do it. So I, I let's, let's do it and let's do it just for, just for the hell of it. Let's do it through the Bible. All right. So let's okay. just, to, just to piss uh, everybody trigger, off. Trigger warning for yeah. everyone yeah. That, uh, is, is not yeah. raised for that one. Um, and no, so I mean, people get plenty of Bible in here at times. <laughs> so, um, we all know that the way we were taught is that when Adam and Eve sinned, that was the end, right? That was the, that was the, the plot twist that we're all still living through. Human right. beings have fallen, and that's terrible. Uh, that, we all know, is framed in a gendered way because Eve is supposed to be the, the harbinger of sin and, and the temptress who, who led to the, the fall of humankind. What if I said that when Eve took a bite of the fruit... human beings enter temporality for the first time that instead of living in this sort of timeless garden where in fact they were children where in fact they were thoughtless or in fact they were dependent where in fact life really meant nothing because nothing was at stake
0: Mm. that all
1: of a sudden they entered into a place where they are human and to be human means that you are temporal right so eve is not the temptress who led us into our fall Eve is the mother who gave us our human condition for the first time. And we are temporal. So we're all born here without a choice. None of us chose it. We showed up here and now we got to deal with it. And it's oftentimes fucking awful. We all know it. You show up here without a choice and now you have to deal with the fact that you're here. And that's hard. You live from an event you never experienced, a birth Mm. that defines you and yet you don't remember. You can't really place in terms of your your own consciousness, and yet it defines the fact that you're now here. Because we're temporal, we're all living towards an end, a death that we don't want, we don't choose, and yet it defines every moment of our life. So Mm -hmm. I'm living from this birth. I didn't choose, and I can't remember. I'm living toward a death that I won't know, because when it happens, I won't be here to know it, and I won't experience it, because when it happens, I won't be here to experience it. I'm living in between. Two poles that define me. They stretch me into the past and into the future. And I'm always caught in the tension between them. And that's really, really, really hard. It's really hard to be aware of ourselves, to be aware of others, to be aware of death in the way that we are as human beings. You know, when I feed my dog at night, I always just, I'm amazed at the joy he takes. And just every time Mm -hmm. I put the bowl down, he's just so happy. We go on a walk, he's happy. And that acute awareness of other people of death, of himself, right? None of it's there. And we know that being human, and, and I don't have to explain this to anybody, is just tragic. It's full of pain, it's full of vulnerability, it's full of unexpected events that define us. A diagnosis, a pandemic, an accident, right? Being human can feel like a curse, it really can. And yet, right, if Eve never enters us gives us birth into temporality if we never enter into this condition then there's no possibility for love Mm -hmm. for celebration for breaking bread in a way that's more than just putting food in your mouth that's sharing a table with other people opening a home having a conversation learning about each other there's no sense of beauty there's no experiencing the sunset climbing to the summit and looking over There's never a moment of catching up with an old friend, sitting on a park bench and feeling a a sense of togetherness. Mm -hmm. There's no sense of waking up next to someone you love with whom you've shared reciprocity and care and and, and moments of vulnerability and, and fragility. Every time that we are just doomed to this curse of being human, I try to remind myself that every time we dance, every time we love, every time we sing, Every time we break bread, our lives are sacred. And we can look to the universe and say, fuck you for making me a human. It's a curse. (laughs) And we can also say, fuck you, I'm a human. And you know what? I'm not going to let that curse take away the sacrality of my life. Mm. I am going to dance and sing and love in ways that defy that curse. And I'm going to do it as long as I can.
0: Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a beautiful way of looking at it. Well, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe some people would get very upset about the way of looking at it. I'm sure. Um, but I, I think you're right. And, and I think, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, Adam and Eve, uh, that whole poem really being about the emergence of uh, what it is to be a conscious human, uh, to, to be, yeah. you know, to know right and wrong, to be aware, to, to suddenly witness what is life and go, Oh, Whoa, there's something going on here. And I can judge that. I can experience that. Um, If you look at it in kind of developmental terms, I'm I'm reading quite a lot. I'm always reading a lot of developmental theory. (laughs) But right now I'm reading a little bit about really early developmental theory, babies, toddlers. And it's so fascinating. And I'm reading one person and she just threw away this comment. She was like, well, it's really only until really about the age four that you really have a conscious awareness that the other person there's an awareness that the other person exists around the age of two, but it's only at the age of four that, and, and this is usually in females as well, so in ma- uh, it, males, it even takes longer generally, if, if you're going to be as binary as this, but, you know, whatever the reasons yeah. that that seems to be the case, but four or five years old, they start to go, oh, and this other person has a different psychology. It's yeah. at that point that they go, oh, there's another person. And it's not just that that person's over there and I'm over here. It's that that person doesn't think what I'm thinking. That takes four years. And, yeah. and and they just threw this comment away and they said, which means that any child under the age of four has zero capacity for love. And I was like, whoa, don't tell that to parents. They're going to get really pissed off at the idea that the kid doesn't love them. Right? So uh, if you're a parent, listen to this. Your kid loves you. Don't listen to me. It's totally great. <laughs> yes, that is an absolute an expression of love when they say, I love you, mommy. And it's not just imparting a, a sentence that you gave them, etc. Please, please, please. <laughs> or my veiled sarcasm. Um, but i i listened i was like gosh it's so true and and so you know and it made me think i went back to oh if this and our garden analogy is an analogy for this this development and i'm like adam and eve couldn't even love each other yeah they couldn't even love god and so we look at this as the the paradise that we want to return to christianity is always looking back going how do we drag humanity backwards six thousand years obviously um that that period of time um But really, it's about as, and and maybe we romanticize earlier development. Maybe we look at the toddler and go, oh, they just didn't know the world was hard and how perfect it was. And I'm like, God, toddler spent the entire time crying. What do you mean they didn't have any form of suffering or, you know? Um, And and so it does make me wonder. I'm just like, gosh, we need that development. We need that move forwards to experience life in its depth and its fullness. And and gosh, we need to move beyond that even potentially. Maybe there is further development just as there are. In, in our development beyond a 4 year olds hopefully yeah. um yeah. that we, we start to experience more depth to life more you know we can experience life as metaphor and not just as the literal black and white you know mm-hmm. dirt and dust that we we pick up you know and yeah i, I love that it's, it's beautiful well and what you said to me is so indicative of what a
1: garden is right and so like the as you're saying so often we're taught theologically that the garden of eden is this static thing that existed like you just go there and there's just fruit And, you know, there's, it's 70, the the weather is perfect. No one has to wear clothes because the weather is so good. And it's just this static sort of dream of an existence. Right. Anyone who's garden knows that the joy of gardening is that every day there's something to do. You have to, Mm. you have to create meaning and order in your garden every day. You have to it, it depends on the season. Are you pruning? Are you planting? Are you seeding? Are you harvesting? But gardening is always in motion. You you never, as yeah. a gardener, like, well, I'm good for two years. We'll just let that go and uh, and come back later, right? I mean, gardening is is constant, right? A constant yeah. activity, constant attention, constant care. To be human, to me, is so it's hard. I mean, gardening is. You're on your knees. You're in the dirt. You're it's tough work. You're sore. But it's so fulfilling to see that kind of order and beauty Mm. that you can bring through that work. You know, to be a human is a hard condition. It's in many ways an irresolvable condition. And yet it's one that can involve so much beauty and so much depth, as you just said, that for me, that's what I hold on to. That's what I hold on to when I say that I think life is sacred, even if I don't mean it in
0: a kind of monotheistic context. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think... That, that's a huge thing, though, because I think, you know, we, you talked about, you know, divorce, your identity is torn apart, losing your faith, your identity. I mean, our identity is so interwoven into all of these things. And one of the things that is interwoven with our identity, with our faith, with our marriage, right? We got married to our high school sweetheart and all, these, all of that stuff. It, it's so interwoven with this narrative of purpose and direction that Christianity gives you. Yeah. Um, and in my experience a lot of people really struggle as things start to fall apart one of the big things that they really struggle with is going oh shit like well what is the meaning of this what is the purpose like why did i marry this person actually now i think about it you mean i could have married someone else actually that that sounds much better right or whatever right um what what do you mean i just worked for free for a church for 10 years and was a missionary for eight years and uh and, and now i don't even believe in it like what meaning is there to any of this i've wasted my past years i have no future at all because i have no uh education or or whatever even my great education i'm just oh, still in religion like what what job am i going to do now right you have yeah. to become a religious professor yeah well, yeah Shots Shots fire this, no 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 i mean no, no, no. <laughs> that's that's the burden of the pastor that deconstructs yeah. or you know you know these 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 paths of uh purpose that suddenly disappear I think it's, it's beautiful that you somehow segged into finding um, some meaning in life beyond religion. I, I think that's really quite profound. And I think a lot of people listening to this go, Oh God, give me that Bradley. How do I find that? How do I build that?
1: You, you know, one of the things I think that I've learned is, is, is evangelicalism taught me that life is about being saved. Like we need to be saved from that. That's, mm. I mean, and, and anything, any book you read, any, any self-help, any Christian devotional, it's you need to be saved from. And you need to be brought back to that garden-like state where there's no vulnerability, there's no threat, and you are firmly protected, as you said, like a child, right? Mm. The alternative, we're told, is always it's either the one, right? You're either within the safety of the one who promises you that, right? Yahweh promising that to Abraham, Uh, Jesus promising that to the disciples. You're either saved with the one and protected, or you're out in the the moving, scary waters of the many. And the many is meaningless. The many is nihilism. The many Mm -hmm. is a life without purpose, right? And it's a it's a false choice. It's either the one or the many, and that's it. You choose. And if you if you leave, if you deconstruct, you're out there and it's a big, bad, scary world. And everybody's a secular humanist atheist, their life means nothing. They're just hedonists who try to get all they can and then they die. And that's it, right? And I think for me, on a on a philosophical theological level, that one and the many thing had to go away because there's as, as we've been talking about, there's authenticity, there's fulfillment. There is genuine human life uh, in so many ways uh, from, as we've said, writing a a poem, having a conversation with a friend, meeting a new person um, that you can't wait to um, talk to, singing a song, you know, whatever it is, reading a book, great literature, right? People who create things, I mean, creating um, anything from a quilt to a house, whatever, there's just, there's ways that to be of being human that are so generative. It also pervades how we think about love. I mean, the idea is it's either the one or the many. And so if you, if you are not in the sort of uh, safety of the Christian marriage, then your relationships will devolve into meaningless hedonism. And there's, sorry, there's no choice. So it's, you you, you know, you choose, do you want to be in a, in a really fulfilling uh, biblical marriage or do you just want to be out in the open waters of meaningless mm. uh, secular hedonism? And it's like, that's not how love works either, right? Love is not about the one and it's not about being saved. I'm not God, I can't save anyone. And I don't think I'm dating anyone who's God. So I don't think they can save me. <laughs> So I think we're going to have to reframe our understanding of love and care and romance if we're going to make that transition fully. And I think for me, that's always been uh, important because I lost both the ones at the same time. I lost mm. God, the one, and I lost my my uh, my romantic one pretty much simultaneously. And so those are always
0: linked in my mind. What do you think is um, what do you think is a hindrance for people going on that path? Um, because I see a lot of people, um, generally speaking, and I have no problem with people that hold on to their Christian faith and and find yeah. healthy ways to engage with with any religion at all. But, but obviously, coming from my background, most people are coming from a Christian faith tradition. I have no problem with people that do, but I, I feel like a lot of the time in my conversations, and people are very open about this, they're clinging to that because... Um, they're really struggling to find some other alternative to to start engaging with that other story other than the one mm-hmm. um what do you think are some of our our barriers to that and how, how do you think we start punching through some of those barriers like where do we th- where do we find those answers where how do we come across those answers i know that they might not solely be intellectual or anything either yeah but... i mean do
1: you do you mean in a um so we're afraid to let go of the one because if we do our lives in in general will sort of devolve into chaos. Is that what you mean?
0: I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess there's probably a few different um, points where people find like a a barrier. I think a lot of people are terrified of hell, even though that I've I've had people tell me I haven't believed in hell for 10, 15 years. And yet I still occasionally wake up and with terrors and, and I'm I'm soaking the bed with sweat. I'm freaking out about hell. And they're like, and I know even if I was a Christian, I know hell is not the only option and there's ultimate reconciliation or universalism or nihilism but i'm not even a christian i don't even believe in god never mind you know that form of hell and i'm still you know so so i think you know it could be all sorts of things but i i think yeah there's all these different barriers that people have to walk through um and sometimes i wonder if it is those barriers themselves are so powerful but sometimes i wonder if it is A lack of option on the other side that is perceived or seen, I guess. So let let me ask it this way. like, It feels like what's happening today is really quite unique in a sense because of largely, in my opinion, globalism in the internet. Mm-hmm. in that if you look at europe we had our mass falling away of christianity between yep. 50 70 years ago maybe a bit later as it sort of drags into maybe some countries germany england um but we had that mass falling away but it doesn't feel like there was the same um kind of experience as there is today it felt like there was that kind of duality it was like look you're in christianity and if you're not you're probably an atheist and that's basically your two options maybe you're an agnostic but that's it and, yeah. and people were, well, I'm not a Christian anymore, so I guess I'm that. And and it was a very, like, like flick from one to the other. And that doesn't seem to be happening today. And I think there's positives to that. And I think there's sometimes negatives to that. It feels like there's maybe paralysis with well, where do I find options? How do I find? I think people still need some sort of – they want to find a meaning that they can go, no, that is the meaning then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Do you have thoughts on – I mean, I don't even know if I even managed to ask a question in my four Oh, no, for there, but- sure. Uh, thoughts on that world of words i
1: just threw at you i do no i I very much do so i think there's for me in my experience there's a couple things at play one is there's such a a bogeyman built up in evangelical circles so that you're taught if you if you dare step out of the bunker you're gonna run into just very scary wolves they are gonna devour you and so if you dare leave if you dare deconstruct if you dare um sort of explore friendships or explore uh, career options or explore community options, you know, taking your kid to a different school, taking your kid to different activities, whatever it is, then you are going to be uh, devoured by the ferociousness of the world and the meaning meaninglessness of your life. Right. And I, my experience has been for those of us who do deconstruct, we sort of step outside tepidly. We put one foot out, you know, and you realize, oh, my foot's not burning. I'm not in Hades. Okay. Maybe two steps out. Oh, I met a new friend. They're they're not a Christian, and they were very nice and caring, and they wanted to bring me soup when I was sick, and they wanted to, you know, uh, you know, have a play date with their kid and my kid at the park. I don't know, whatever it is. And you start to realize through experience, oh, okay, there are ways of being um, a human being in the world without. Uh, running into these devouring wolves that I've been warned about my whole life. I think that first step is really hard. And I know for you, as somebody who works in these areas with folks, that's very clear. I think the second one is, is harder psychologically and philosophically. And that is, we have been trained to look for the final answer. We need it resolved. You know, I remember talking to my dad one time, and he asked me why I was no longer an evangelical. And I said, dad, it just is clear to me that there's no way to go to bed at night with every big question answered, tied up, put away in a drawer and neatly um, uh, uh, resolved. That's just not a possibility for me anymore.
0: Mm.
1: Because of that, I have to live with provisionality. I have to live with the fact that life inv- includes vulnerability. It includes fragility, but that is what, um, that is what makes it in many ways exciting and many ways thrilling, and it also makes it, as we've talked about, difficult and at times hard to cope with. But if you are looking for the final meaning, if you're looking to tie it all up and resolve it, you're always then going to be caught in communities and in religious groups that are offering final answers and thus have total control over you. Mm -hmm. If you want final answers, you have to give up total control. And so that to me is a way to sort of frame um, why does so many of us are stepping out from those communities, but, but maybe also why it's a motivating factor to just give it a chance to live with the provisionality, live right with this, the fact that something's always at stake. Something's mm-hmm. always at stake in your story. We all love, like how, how many of us read books where we just know what's gonna happen and what the end's gonna be? We don't like that. We don't watch films that way. Your story becomes yours when you Mm. step out of that community and something's always at stake and now you have a chance to create this narrative of who you are and what you'll be. That's exciting. That's so tantalizing. It's so freeing. Mm. It comes with the fact that you have a condition that is not fully resolvable. That's your human condition. That's tough, but I think there's a lot of beauty in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I love um, Pete Holmes. I love Pete Holmes. He's such a a great guy. Um, But he has kind of like an analogy of seeing his life like a TV show and every day is an episode. And, you know, at the end of the day, no one wants to watch the episode of TV where Pete's life is perfect. Yep. And everything goes the way he planned it. His calendar just works out. TikTok. Everything's ticked. He sat and watched Netflix for four hours. No one wants to watch that, right? People want to go, oh my gosh, this is the one where, uh, I'm using Pete, this is the one where Greg's mom gets cancer? Holy crap, that that was a crazy good episode. Like, you see how he processed that and it was so painful, it was so hard forward. Oh, like it's terrible. How on earth? What's the next episode? How is he going to overcome this? How is he going to get through this? Will his mom, you know, and, and no one wants anyone to get cancer like, duh, I'm not saying that at all, but these huge ups, these huge downs and everything in between is what makes it a good show. Yeah. Right. On some level, no one wants to watch the garden of Eden TV show. No No. one wants to go to heaven as described by an evangelical, right? These (laughs) these places are so dull, so uninteresting. Um, And so, yeah, I I think that's, that's hits it on the head. there needs to be some ambiguity there needs to be some room for things to go terribly awry but for every bit of space you give it to go awry there's a bit of space for it to go incredibly well and totally different and be exciting and yeah oh i love that i really love that.
1: there's this uh, episode in in the odyssey where odysseus ends up on calypso's island right and calypso is a beautiful goddess and Odysseus, of course, in the Odyssey, wants to go home. He's trying to get home from the Trojan War to his wife Penelope and, and all this stuff. And he's lost in this maze of, of islands and, and monsters and all this stuff. But he ends up on Calypso's island, beautiful goddess. She has a warm place to live, and there's food everywhere. There's fruit growing on the vines, there's uh, plenty to eat inside, and it's a, it's a tropical paradise. Beach, food, goddess who says Odysseus how about I make you immortal you stay with me forever on this island we will make love every night we will eat great food every day then we'll go to the beach then we'll hit repeat what happens in this part of the Odyssey is (laughs) Odysseus spends every every day weeping on the beach alone because he's so sad because his life means nothing Mm. all he wants to do is re-enter time and go chart his path with his family. And to me what you just said about evangelical heaven is akin to death, right? It's akin to not being alive. And so if we're going to be alive we have to face the the sort of uh, unpredictability and uncertainty of our condition and mm-hmm. and revel in the times when we can revel, dance when we can dance celebrate when we can celebrate, smile when we can smile, say I love you when we can say I love you, knowing that there will be days when we can't. There will be the episode, as you just said, where someone's in the hospital, when we get bad news, when something doesn't go great. And there's nothing we can do to change that. It's just a matter of sort of balancing um, you know, the sacrality of our condition with its inherent sort of tragedy. And, and it's not easy. I, I recognize that's hard and it's, it's not something that um, can be done all at once. But I, I do think that I, one more analogy is I grew up surfing in California and I love surfing. One of the reasons I love it is because you never know what you're going to get. So you can check Mm -hmm. the wind and the swell and the tide. But when you're driving there, you know that there's a chance you're going to pull up and it's going to be perfect, perfect wind, perfect tide, perfect swell, only two people out there surfing and here you are. It's going to be a great three hours, right? And there's other days you show up. And it's not what it said. The tide is bad. The, the swell never came. There's a hundred people out there. And you know what? You're like, this wasn't great, but you never know, right? Mm-hmm. Every day is different. Every wave is different. Every time you surf is different because the wind, the tide, the swell, the temperature, uh, all of those things change all the time. That's what makes it so fun. That's what makes it so amazing that every, every moment is different. Every moment holds Uh, 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 something unknown around the corner, that's what is tantalizing about being alive. And yet, uh, I think for me, evangelical theology takes all of that out and shoves us into this place where it's like, we want to make you dead. That's the goal. Let's be dead. Mm. Let's be protected in a way that nothing's at stake and nothing matters. And that's a good life. And like Odysseus, it just makes you want to kind of go cry on the shore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I I think there's there's a component, I think, as... (sighs) as moderns or maybe even postmoderns potentially um i feel like there's a danger of us writing off that whole way of life as completely meaningless or irrelevant or not helpful but i think if we go far enough back in history we can go oh my god there was a time where that was such a move forward when there was a time when his human history was crazy uh, Anarchy, very unstable. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And and it was, yes, it was all those uncertain things, but just bad, right? I mean, it, yeah. was, it was, yes. was no there was no, oh, I I can't wait for the wonder <laughs> of what today is. It was like fuck, I, this might be the day I die, or hopefully I just scrape through. You know, it, and I'm, I'm kind of being a bit uh silly, but like, you know, there was a time where we transitioned on some level. Um, And and we needed stability and safety and organization and people in charge and leadership structures and it it created civilization, it created, um, you know, uh, order and it helped civilization grow and develop and whatever. Uh, And so I I think that's, um, you know, I think that's something we overlook at times, but I do think that time is over on the whole, uh, I, I maybe in certain parts of the world that might still be h- actually very helpful. And we might even be seeing certain parts of the world still need some greater emergence of some stable um, kind of structure and organization. You know, I, absolutely. I can well imagine that some people in the world would look forward to that. Some days I look forward to that. If I've yep. had enough days of craziness, I'm like, Oh God, I would like a nice stable, organized yep. everything. Someone picks my day for me and gives me how it is. And I just have it. Um, but what, what do you think is next? You know, so I, I know you've looked at this and you've looked at, um, you know, you've, you've studied philosophy, you've studied religion. Like, does religion play a role in the future? Does religion need to change if it's going to play a role in the future? Or is religion going to die off and be replaced with a more um, secular kind of philosophical way of engaging with the world and creating a, a, a sacred kind of uh, you know, meaning to the world. What do you see happening? What, what do you see unfolding now? What, where do you see us going? Like, what are your thoughts? I I think they go in two
1: directions. So I think we're seeing the U.S. in, in, way, in ways um, catch up with Europe, as you've mentioned. So we have a, a huge tide of the nuns, you know, the N-O-E, mm-hmm. uh, N-O-N-E-S nuns in the U.S. now. And they're the fastest growing group. What we're seeing is, the kinds of control, the kinds of a hierarchy, the kinds of authoritarianism, the kinds of hypocrisy that are often rife in—not all, but in many religious communities—are turning many people off from that kind of uh, that kind of participation. Um, we've seen that all over the world. We've seen that take place in Europe. We've seen that take place in, especially, the Nordic countries. And yet, you know, I always come back to when I when I talk to my students about religion, I say, "Look, I don't want to. I don't." care about what people believe i i I do but it's kind of my sixth or seventh question my first question is what does religion do what does religion do and what religion is really good at and it's perhaps the best uh, phenomenon in human history is creating community is creating um a sense of purpose is creating a sense of um tradition and lineage Mm. religion is really good at that And so I don't think religion will ever go away, because there are enough of us humans who want that kind of answer, who want that kind of togetherness, that religion will always stick around. I think what's interesting at this moment, this juncture, is can we form secular communities, secular forms of being together, that are able to uh, bring us into a sense of camaraderie, a sense of togetherness, a sense of participation, a sense of fulfillment, as humans working together to create meaning in our lives, yet do it in a way that is not authoritarian, that is not toxic, that is not oppressive, in a way that we can pass on to our kids, in a way that we can sort of um, explore who we are in healthy ways. The rub there is the way you get that kind of cohesive community is through shared symbols and shared doctrines and shared rituals. Well, that requires everybody conform to a certain belief system and a certain ritual system, and you're off and running. The good thing about that, hey, it feels really good. I I taught a class one time on atheism and it was a night class with adults and this older gentleman, 65 years old, raises his hand and says, I haven't been religious in 30 years and I don't miss a damn thing about going to church and having some preacher tell me I'm going to hell. And then he just started crying, right? He starts crying and he says, you know, I do miss being together with people and singing. Atheists don't have songs, right? It's like an old Steve Martin bit. Mm -hmm. And i i want to know can we find ways to be together yeah. uh, that don't require that religious dogma and ritual but give us that
0: sense of participation is that possible i don't know we'll see yeah i mean it's it's a huge question right because as we see um you know this emerging group of nuns or duns um it, often very spiritual still often yep. having yep. very different uh positions you know atheists agnostics, some exploring eastern tradition some going back to maybe indigenous roots and and maybe their 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 roots of, of practices that have been sacred to their ancestors uh, yep. and, and where they've come from uh some exploring within christianity but very different to their original faith tradition you know there's such diversity there Um, And this is the problem in in deconstruction. I I created a network to help people connect because people ask me all the time, do you know anyone from Austin? I I feel totally alone. And I'm like, damn, I talked to like five people from Austin this week and I can't (laughs) remember any of them. So I was like, fuck, screw this, right? I'll set up a website and everyone can just put their name on it and you can find each other. And then I have this issue where suddenly like, I'm like, someone messaged me like, oh, I'm, I'm in LA and I don't know anyone This deconstruction. Like, have you checked deconstruction deconstruction numbers? Like 50 people in LA. Like, come on, like, that's not hard. And they're like, yeah, I messaged them all and none of them are in the same place. And I'm like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. You're looking for yeah. someone that believes identically. Um, now, a lot of people aren't in that place, which is great. Yeah. And, and it's definitely going to work for you better if you're not in that place. But there is this, this, dynamic where on some level, some people are going, Oh no, I need someone to believe the same way as me for me to really feel connected and, 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 and feel that level of connection because maybe that's socially uh, in a constructed way. That's how we've grown up. That's how churches work. That's how our schools work, nations, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, But it's there. Yeah. And, and, And it is a big question of going, well, can you herd cats? Right? Yeah. Can can you get these people that are in a radically different? Space? You know, I, I've I've gone to different uh, areas and, and gone to like maybe somewhere in Atlanta and go, oh, let, let, I'll just gather everyone from this area and like shoot out a message and say I'm here. I'm gonna rent this like you know room. Come hang out with us and everyone shows up and then someone's like oh i brought my guitar can we sing some worship and yeah. i'm like fuck <laughs> off dudes but then someone else is going oh that would be really nice and i'm like what and then someone else is going i really would rather not that's triggering and i'm like thank god and you know and, and then someone's like oh i would like to sing but i'd like to sing secular and i'm like i just don't even care about singing music with yeah. you guys i don't I, like yeah. singing music with people right and then someone else is like oh well why don't we just open in prayer and i'm like whoa who are you yeah. praying to dude or you know and then someone else is like oh yeah let's pray to ganesh or you know like it, uh, kind of joking with the most extreme kind of diversity. But what, how do you get a group together yeah. that, um, that want to gather around some form of ritualism and things like that? It's really hard. And so even it though it's the fastest growing movement, uh, spiritual movement in the West, and it's, and it's this huge emerging group, so many of us just feel utterly alone. Uh, we, we feel completely isolated, alone, and yet if, I always say if you turned into a Jehovah's Witness and just went out the front door, turned yep. left, and started knocking on doors as you went and said, hey, did you used to be religious? You're not anymore, and you just want to hang out? I reckon you'd get about four doors, even in America, before you found someone that was like, yeah, dude, that, let's go to the pub, yep. right? But yep. once we get to the pub, how are we connecting? What are, we conne- are we connecting over a common uh, – I do wonder if it is a common departure. That we're connecting over um but I don't, I don't know is that enough to connect over are we all used to believe like this and we don't anymore it, it feels uh, i don't know it's it's such a weird one
1: it is it's a you know we have this trauma bond right mm. we have this bond yeah. of like we, we share that so we all are moving away from this thing and yet can we find a way to move together towards something else? And, right. you know, it's, it's, it's not easy. Cause as you're saying, uh, you get the room of 50 people. There's somebody who's still kind of Christian, but just in a, in a much different way, you get someone who's like, if you start with any praying or cr- cr- I'm out, I'm going to run. I mean, I'm, I am do not even, don't, yeah. Yeah. Don't even think <laughs> about it, buddy. And so, you know, how do we do that? I think for me, um, you know, we just started this new podcast collective, uh, called irreverent, uh, media group. Yeah. And the tagline is from deconstruction to rediscovery. And I I, I like that because I think it opens the door for thinking through these questions. What does it mean to rediscover? Does that mean that there's ways of rediscovering and renewing um, in in community, in uh, camaraderie, in uh, companionship? Um, What does that look like if we're all gonna land in different places, if we're all gonna land with different Mm. beliefs, different values? Um, You know, one of the things I, I talk about sometimes is, if you walk around my neighborhood, uh, it's, a, it's 90% people of color. It's very, um, uh, it's very left-leaning uh, here in the Bay Area. Uh, so a lot of Filipino folks, a lot of Vietnamese folks, a lot of Mexican folks, a lot of Japanese folks, etc. Um, and a lot of the yard signs say, in, in this house, right, we believe. Love is love. Science is real. Um, you know, everyone is welcome. Uh, blah, 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 blah. And I always think to myself, that's a creed. That's a creed. Yeah, it is. That's a creed. Can we start with something like that? Can we start somewhere where we affirm science? We affirm all identities. We affirm people where they are in terms of their sex and their gender. Uh, where we affirm, you know, certain ideals that could bond us, um, and yet avoid the sort of dogma. Can we do value but not dogma? Mm. Right? Can we do um, boundaries but not binaries? right? That's hard. It's, it's, it's not easy work. And as you're saying, it's often like hurting cats. Yeah. But um, I agree with you that there's a lot of folks who feel alone. And yeah. part of what's hard about deconstruction is, you're leaving probably the most intimate and cohesive community you'll ever be part of when you're an evangelical, even though it's probably the most toxic and suffocating
0: community you'll ever be a yeah. part of. So. Yeah, well, I mean, I always say like, the Westboro Baptist Church is one tight family. Yeah, right. But you don't want to go join the Westboro Baptist Church for that type community, right? <laughs> like, I, I mean, maybe you do. Hey, I, I don't know, yeah. but I would highly recommend opting for something different, right? Maybe the UK uh, Baptist variety might. Be something <laughs> <better for you. laughs> I grew up UK Baptist. So, I mean, I yeah. don't highly recommend it, but, uh, yeah, no. And, and it, 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 you know,
1: my, my comments earlier about UK Baptist, believe me the, the, there were folks who I met who were lovely. And then there were folks deeply who I met. Varied,
0: deeply varied. Yeah.
1: And I thought, yeah. Oh Lord. Okay. I don't want to talk to you. You know what I mean? So, um, did, I did not mean to paint with too broad a brush there. No, I, apologize. I know
0: you didn't. I know yeah, you didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's really hard. And I think as well, and so this is where it becomes really problematic. So I used to be a part of church and I was trying to help them kind of forge a path, which about 30 to 40% of the people in the church were deconstructing, were questioning their faith. Some were kind of more progressive Christians, some weren't, but they just love the community and they want to hold on to that. And so we were trying to help shape this into a community that could kind of be a bit more pluralistic, that could kind of embrace everyone. But the problem you have with that is at some point you have to come to terms with the fact that when you create, so those creeds you give, they're beautiful, they're amazing, they're inclusive. Yep. So who isn't included? Yep. Exclusive people. Yep. By some nature, even though you you might even say, well, we include exclusive people. But they exclude themselves or, you know, we can all sorts of different languages, kind of more Brian McLaren kind of language or whatever. But at the end of the day, what we're basically saying is, oh, you hate gay people. You're not going to be really welcome here. Sorry, you'll find another place. There's plenty of churches that you will fit in like great over there. Um, But there's some component of Again, when you're working with such diversity and such um, variety, even our creeds at some point will be too inclusive for someone, or will be too even love. Right? What does love look like? That's a uh, the West Baptists. They say they love people. Yeah. Right. You go yeah. find, I don't know, Kenneth Copeland, Bill Johnson, John Piper, any big s- Christian subject that you can g- think of the name and go, oh, I know what they believe. They all would say they're motivated by love, but they would all say what love is and how that looks is slightly different. And so yeah. even with that, it becomes problematic again yeah. you know maybe someone's starting to explore a buddhist path and they go well it's not very loving to you know uh eat meat in this way or, yep. or kill or yep. you know or whatever you know and i know it's more complexity to buddhism and, and more diversity within that but you know it's really complex uh this this path but I, I think it's better than nothing i think it's a starting point to be branching out in but it's it's a messy messy uh, endeavor for sure
1: and you know it Being exclusive is a bad word, right? It's not a word we like to hear. And yet, the paradox of being human is if we're going to create community, we have to create boundaries that include those in the group. And they they say, hey, we're all part of the group. And the Mm -hmm. folks who are not in the group, they're not in the group. And that's what makes us different. We all sort of have the badge or the patch or the, the symbol or the totem. And yet, we don't want to be exclusive. So many of us are coming from a place where, you know, being exclusive was so hurtful, was so traumatizing. And so that feels like any move toward exclusion feels like, no, that's, that's reverting back to that place where I used to be. And I'm not doing that. I'd rather just not be in a group, right? I think a lot of us would just say, okay, I will be somebody who bonds with folks over being an ex-evangelical, but I'm not going to go the next step to joining something that makes me affirm some sort of boundary and inclusion thing, because I don't want to leave anybody out. Right. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, you know, somebody pointed out on Twitter the other day that there's a lot of great progressive churches out there. They are affirming. They are, uh, they have a, a, a politics that most of us can get on board with. And yet have you ever found a progressive church that is affirming of polyamory pe- folks, the polyamory community. I haven't. Right. So, if you're polyamorous, can you go to that, you know, very progressive, uh, you know, UCC church or whatever church it is? You're probably excluded, right? And we're right mm. back to square one. We're right back to yeah. where we started here, and it is a conundrum. It is, it is difficult. And I am not, you know, I, I'm not going to pretend as the religion professor or anyone else that I have some grand answer to this. Um, I'd like, I, I'm thinking about it all the time. I have a uh, a book I'd like to write on this very question, but Um, it is one we're all going to have to continue to to struggle through because I also think at times it's okay to say we are going to exclude those whose values are based on intolerance. Sure. We exclude intolerance here. Right. And, and that's tricky, but I, I think it's okay to say that even though excluding exclusion is not a, is not a hip word at the moment. So anyway, yeah.
0: No, I I think you're right. I think, to be honest with you, uh, maybe we could shift into some politics. I know you're a big fan of uh, talking (laughs) about different political topics and stuff. But I think this is ultimately – the the real core of the 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 revolution and the rise of the 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 right uh, throughout the world not just in america as well yeah. the uk is yeah. seeing a resurgence of the last yeah. 15 years of australia yeah. massive you know um, i i think people like to demonize the right they like to point the finger and go the right is evil the right is wrong and yeah probably maybe maybe absolutely i'm not saying they're not but i i think actually the resurgence is largely due to the errors and the failings of the left. Um, And actually, there aren't that many hard right people out there. There aren't that many extreme racist burning crosses and wearing, you know, Ku Klux Klan hoods and things. but there's plenty of people willing to vote for that group because they hate the left so much. I think the reason Donald Trump got such a, a vote was he spent most of his time going, "Look at these stupid leftists! Look at the ridiculousness of some of their statements! Look at how extreme they say you can't exclude everyone. Well, you have to exclude someone. You can't exclude the excluders. You know, you, you, you say that there's no truth. Well, that's a truth. You know, that's an absolute truth that there's no truths." And and, and so and and you know what? A lot of centralists go, "You know what? That, that's true. Like these these leftists have got some." extreme reactions to some stuff that's yeah definitely wrong and they they go to swung this pendulum and i I do wonder if you know like you're saying there's not there's not necessarily something wrong with going okay hold on hold on though no exclusion really we're gonna say oh pedophiles welcome here and do as you will no, yeah. of course we're not. So yep. let's hold on and just go, no, no, no. We do have a policy of exclusion here. We, we have a policy of, Hey, you are going to be included. If you change, if you work on yourself, if you show some level of, uh, you know, transformation and that you want to be a part of this and you've, you've worked to change yourself. Absolutely. Murderers, pedophiles, etc. You are able to change and be included, but right now, no, no, you're not allowed yeah. to come yeah. in here and kill people come in here and uh, whatever. Um, I, I think that maybe we are in quite a reactionary time right now and i think actually it's possibly because of that 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 a lot of our um our trouble today as far as how much everything seems to have swung i think a lot of people are in the center i talk about this often in the podcast because i read it a few months ago but have you seen perceptiongap.us it's a website It was a study that they did and they basically um they asked a, a huge group of democrats and they said here's like 30 questions about your politics and different things that oh yeah give us your answer and then they said what do you think a republican would say and vice versa and what it turns out was the vast majority of them basically answered within a couple of percentage points of each other but what they thought the other person was was like this psychopath demon you know that was the most extreme on the other end and so i i think there is this place of if we can kind of figure out okay now maybe there is some healthy exclusion here yeah, yeah, you're right. Like it does require exclusion to create a healthy community, but maybe we could be a little bit more inclusive than we have been in the past. <laughs> like, let's start yeah. moving along and, and start in, opening up. What What are your thoughts on this? Because I know you, you yeah. talk a lot about kind of the political landscape in the states. I mean, that's a, a heavy focus on on your, um, your podcast, Straight White um, yeah. uh, American Jesus. yeah. Uh, yep. Talk to me about some of your thoughts on, especially American politics, I guess. Um, but if, if you want to expand globally, that that would be uh, interesting as well, for sure.
1: One of the things that we talk about a lot is that fundamentalisms seem like they are um, old, right? So if you say, I'm a fundamentalist Christian, I'm a fundamentalist Muslim, I'm a fundamentalist mm. whatever it is you want to call yourself. I'm a fundamentalist, pure um, uh uh nativist, you know, person from England. I don't want foreigners here. I don't want folks from, you know, from Pakistan or from uh, uh, for the African continent or whatever. It seems like you're doing the thing that's like I'm going back to the beginning. One of the things we talk a lot about is fundamentalisms are reactions to modernity, right? Modernity mm-hmm. poses freedom and uncertainty and choice. One of the ways that people often react is to choose to uh, form an identity around religion or politics or ethnicity, or race, that gives them certainty, right? It gives them categories, it creates a world of binaries, and it helps them just sort who's in and who's out, who's here, who's there, who is me and who is the other. So fundamentalisms aren't old, they're new. They are Mm. ways of constructing a vision of the past that helps you sort the world into neat categories. So a fundamentalist Christian does this, uh, uh, a white supremacist does this, and on down the line, The right politically is really good at that sorting. They present a world that says us and them, here and there, good and bad. Are you in or out? Get on board. The feature of that is conformity. The feature of that is they all vote the same. The feature of that is they're able to mobilize armies of voters and armies of political uh, people because they have built the value system on those binaries and that in-group, out-group thing. The left is diversity is a feature, not a bug. So we all have different views. We all have different ideas about economic solutions, trade solutions, um, you know, political solutions. Okay, great. Everybody get in this big tent. And all of a sudden we're back in your room in Atlanta. Someone's playing the guitar. Someone's over here praying. Someone else is like, get me the hell out of here. And this whole big tent is a lot harder to mobilize Mm. because Diversity is a feature and not a bug. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to be in a community that is an in-group, out-group community. I don't want to be in a place that says you're either here or there. You're either one of us or you're with them, the devil, right? I, I don't want that at all. But it, it, it it's a reality politically in Poland, in the UK, in France, in the United States, in Hungary, that the right is really good at mobilizing because conformity is their value, mm. right? I always say that I like In-N-Out Burger. I'm from California. In-N-Out Burger is like a favorite of mine. Um, In-N-Out Burgers kind of amazing. You walk in, two choices, hamburger, yep. cheeseburger. That's your choice, right? It's easy. And I never go to In-N-Out Burger and think, oh, do I want the fish sandwich? Do I want the tacos? Oh, maybe I want the salad. Not an option. And you know right. what? It's kind of nice because there's we've all been at a restaurant where we're like too yeah. many good choices. What am I going to have? Ah! If I do uh-huh. that one, I don't get to have that one. If I do this one, I miss out on that. The right is In and Out Burger, right? you there's no thinking, there's no choice. It's just you're with us or not. And right. I think I think politically we have to sort of accept that that's that's the starting point. And where do we mm-hmm. go from here? What do we do about that? Um, that's not easy, but that that's our reality. Um, there's always going to be a place. For right wing politics, just like there's going to be a place for religion because of what it does for people, it gives them certainty, it gives them easy ways to understand the world, and a way to turn off your brain and just be part of the group. And don't worry about all the diversity and the array of choices and the bedazzling sort of uh, heterogeneity of the world. Some folks want that, and they're always Mm
0: -hmm. going to choose it. Yeah. I mean, do, do you think we're just looking at in 20, 30 years, we will be the conservatives that are scared of new things change. We don't want those robots voting. And, you know, what do you mean? Like, you know, AI rights or what do you mean? Non-human <laughs> rights? What does that even mean? Or, right. And so we're going to be sitting going, Oh no, like let's conserve. Well, no, of course there's only, you know, uh, a plethora of genders for humans. You can't start saying there's other, you know, like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something that might be an issue no, for yeah. years from now. but. I mean, do you think that's just the nature of, of, of humans? Uh, there's, there's a group that is always looking pa- backwards to some form of safety, security. Maybe there's something about growing older as well that, that maybe gravitates you. Because there's a part of growing up sometimes that allows you to evolve beyond conservatism. Yeah. Yep. And then there's a part of sometimes growing old that there's a lot of data and studies shown that as people start having their kids um, and, and start settling down and they start develop, like, gathering property and, and savings and things like that, they suddenly become a lot more conservative. They're suddenly a lot more like, well, let's just keep a hold of everything we've got here. Let's keep our kids safe. Let's, I don't want my property. My property is just to be stable and increased yeah. by 5% every year. And I want my yeah. pension to be secure. Um, I, I I guess – it does the left change or does it just continually become the cutting edge of, of, of what we're pushing for next that becomes conservative next or yeah. or do you think that do you think the left needs to change its approach you know you talk about what the, the conservatives are there it's, it just works well in our system in a, in a very simple two-party system gosh the right seems to be very very uh yeah hooked up you know because Everything else seems a bit too risky. There's too many diversities. People split votes everywhere. The right is nice and simple. It goes, look, well, what do you want? Do you want babies to be murdered or do you yep. want to vote conservative? You know, that's or, right. That's right. You know, whatever. That's um, it. And it. And, and that's a real simple choice. And it, and it captures a lot of people. I know people yeah. on the left that are sitting going, oh, shit, I, I don't want kill babies though i mean yeah Yeah. i've known people in my life that are very progressive in a lot of areas that go yeah but my pastor is right on some level that is a big issue millions Mm of people but if you honestly believe that millions of people dying every year yeah i guess i'd vote for something that stops that um if it ever stops right which (laughs) another point but
1: the, no, the, the example is right on. I mean, the abortion, the abortion example is just a great way of sorting the world, right? Are you for the murder, uh, the Holocaust, the millions of, of unborn chi- children or, or not, right? You know, there's a, a, a scholar of religion named Robert Orsi who has this great phrase. He talks about disciplined attentiveness. And I, I like that because what I, what I like about it is, you know, you get older, you start to have kids, and you want to protect. You want to preserve, right? You want to conserve, right? You mm. become a conservative, Disciplined attentiveness to me is a willingness to say that no matter how old I grow, no matter uh, how sort of scary the world seems, especially when I'm in charge of a little family or, or taking care of my aging parents or whatever it may be, that I'm going to have the disciplined attentiveness. I'm going to open the space within myself to examine, right, the questions before me that are really important, right? Do we have the willingness to expend energy on the most fundamental questions. One of the weird things about being human to me is that we're so often willing to spend so much energy on the things that are not fundamental. And when it comes to life's uh, most crucial questions, refugees, immigrants, right, uh, income inequality, white supremacy, abortion, on down the line, it's so intimidating and so confusing that we're willing to sort of just say, yeah, my gut tells me this, so I'll just do that. And and I've got this person in my life, and they seem smart, so I'll trust them. And they could be on Fox News, or they could be my pastor, but uh, I don't know what to do here, so I'll just go with that. Whether you're thirty, you're forty, you're fifty, or sixty, do you have the disciplined attentiveness, right, to say, okay, I'm not going to react with fear, I'm not going to let uncertainty drive me into intolerance, and I'm going to sort of live by the value, right, of expending my energy on the most fundamental issues. If we can be those people, then I think we can sort of not only build effective political coalitions, but we can not become the person who 20, 30 years from now is simply saying, well, in my day, we did it this way. And I'm just not going to get on board with all these folks. You know, I mean, I had a student today tell me about a, a, a supposedly feminist um, you know, professor at our school who... Uh, is horribly transphobic, right? And mm. this is a person who, you know, was a, a, a queer woman in, you know, the the 70s and 80s, and her feminism, sure. right? Never got to the point of considering and discipline in a disciplined way, paying attention to trans rights, um, sure. trans people, trans issues. And so taking, you know, the student was just really devastated that taking this particular class with this particular person meant what felt like just an assault on trans people all the time right Mm. to me that's that's a way to think about do we have the uh the willingness to exert uh our life's energy on the things that matter the most not easy but it's worth it
0: and it feels like as as time goes on you know, I'm a very aware of how privileged I am that I have so much space to sit around and think about these things and have great conversations and read books and have a like, you know, white privileged, you know, circle jerk over like, Oh, let's think about this philosophical issue or whatever. I mean, that's a very privileged position. Um, but every day I feel like my life gets a bit busier and I have a little less time for it. Yep. <laughs> and I yep. don't even have kids yet. You know I mean? Like, you know, all these yep. components adding up and I'm like, Oh gosh. Yeah. I can see as, as time progresses. I, I you know, I, I was reading um, both uh, Kurt Groider and Lovinger's different models of uh, ego development theory. And um, both of them uh, at one point, I think it was in the late nineties, early two thousands, they were looking at um, uh, the, these, stages of ego development how we grow up and how we frame our our existence within the world as we grow and what's interesting is both of them observed that generally speaking whatever stage you're at around the age of 40 you basically died that stage. (laughs) Very, very few people kept growing beyond the age of 40. And and so there's much change can happen in that space from birth right through to about 40. But once you get to around age, whatever the reason was, they didn't didn't put forward, these are the reasons or anything like that. I'm sure there's probably plenty of studies on these things. but it does feel at a certain point people kind of stop growing up they stop doing the hard work i feel it in myself at times we're having local elections right now for the mayor and different things like that and I, honestly I, I felt myself i'm reading through the pamphlets and looking on the websites and i'm literally pulling out my phone and texting my mate who's really on it with local politics going <laughs> who are you voting for right <laughs> on some level because i know we have the same passions we have the same sort of output yep. and i just and, and i just ask them well why and if that seems reasonable i'll probably felt that way yeah. i don't have the time i don't have the space and i'm trying to pick which issues to care about and things and how to grow and I'm, I, I have a lot of grace and forgiveness for, and compassion for people that are in that space oh for but sure it, it's tough right yeah. i mean thinking yeah. of, of feminists and uh, you know 30 years ago 40 years ago how much they fought and had to fight for and, and do I, on some level I, I i'm like most appalled and shocked that i'm like what you don't have you know space for for trans people and you haven't understood and on another level i'm like oh i get that you've come to a place in your life where you're like i am done constantly educating myself and learning and fighting i talked to a friend of mine the other day and they were saying they talked to their father who i think is in their sort of 70s and he was like you know he's like i've got even more racist in the last 10 years and he's like and i just don't have the energy to fight it and i was like what self-awareness and yet on another level, what utter giving yeah. up, you know, to yep. be able to say I've got more races, but I don't care anymore. I'm 70 and I give up. Like, Oh, it, it, it's tough. You know, <laughs> do you have I, thoughts on how we fight I do. That? Like, <laughs> Well, I, I think there's, there's two.
1: I think one is practical. One of the things that I said over and over again during the Trump era in this country was that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Okay. You are right. We are busy. We are burdened. We're trying to get ourselves up, get to work, do good things in the world, take care of children, help uh, our aging parents, uh, you know, uh, better ourselves, read a book once in a while, you know, catch up with friends, uh, have a good relationship. Okay, we're going to try and do all that. And stay up to date on every local, state, and national political issue. That's hard. Leadership matters. Leadership matters. We need leaders who have integrity, who have a willingness to reflect on these things because we have elected them as the leaders to do that. That's, that's mm. it. I, I don't want anyone ever in my lifetime to ever again say that, oh, it doesn't really matter who's president or who's in Congress, You know, it's all just a perfunctory kind of role about, no, leadership matters and it trickles down. One year mm. and a day ago, Donald Trump got on the TV and said, maybe we should drink bleach to get rid of coronavirus. Leadership matters. Maybe we should blast our lungs with light to get rid of coronavirus. Leadership matters, right? So that's number one. I think number two is education matters. So okay, we can, and I'm willing to fight the tides. I'm willing to have the conversation of what happens after you're 40. I think there are ways we can still learn and grow. And I and, and I think that'd be a great conversation. You know, from your background um, and mine, I think we'd have really interesting sort of back and forth there. But I think before we go there, I think it's okay. What are we doing before age of 40? What are we doing? Right? Mm-hmm. Are we? In, uh, how are we cultivating young people? How are we cultivating ourselves in that time? Are we instilling those values of diversity and inclusion? Are we instilling those values of not being afraid of what's new? Are we um, giving people exposure right, to racial and ethnic and sexual and gender minorities? right? So they realize this is not a big, bad other. This is a human being. This is my trans friend, right? This is my gay friend. This is my polyamorous friend, right? This is my mixed race friend. This is my Afro-Caribbean friend blah, 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 blah. blah. If we're doing that before 40, then mm. as you said, after 40, we've already set the table to kind of carry on in that
0: direction. Right. That seems really important. Yeah, no, that's huge. And I think that's something uh, we'll, we'll wind up now because uh, I'm aware of the time, but that seems something that's so, it, it is the thing that gives me hope. The number one thing is I just need to look 10 years younger than me. Twenty years younger than me, and I go, "Oh my god!" Hopefully, all of my generation can die off soon, and everyone as well, and we can let this lot get in charge. If we can get this lot in charge, global warming will be over before you know we blink. You know, I don't have to ask a single fifteen-year-old in the entire like world everyone i've met any 15 year old i'm like hey what do you think about plastic straws or plastic bottles or what do you think about nestle and they're like fuck nestle stop using plastic straws of course we need to change the climate you know they're aware they've got it you know they they're they're like oh do you think um trans rights are important what do you mean do i yeah that's a question how old are you you know that's the answer that i'll yeah. get i won't even get like a well of course i i they're shocked that I, a human asks that question you know um, and and it does fill me with hope um, that I don't know if it's they're being raised on the internet. Even even in rural areas, they're watching Netflix and YouTube and Instagram, and that's their education, right? TikTok, and um, it doesn't matter. They're they're being exposed to these things in ways that, uh, gosh, we never were. Never mind our parents and you know whoever else. Um, it's Leadership
1: leadership matters. Education matters. Representation matters. So mm. it's really hard to tell the fifteen year old kid that uh, trans people are from the devil and that uh, mixed race people are from the devil if they have been exposed to those folks through the media they watch, through yes. the people they look up to, through the folks that they found at school, that there are folks willing to come out as 15 year olds, as gay, as bi, as trans, et cetera. And all of a sudden, how do you change, right? The, the feelings and the affect of the 16 year old who is like, what do you mean? Climate change, white supremacy, and um lgbtq prejudice are things that i just can't no that's just a no for me because i have been formed in a way that 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 makes those values incongruent with who i am representation matters in that way you know Mm -hmm. our our christian uh elders taught us to be afraid of the media that had representations of different lifestyles and they were right because if you i mean lifestyles is the wrong word different identities different ways of, of living right if 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 you read too many books and you see too many folks represented, they're not demonic. They're human. Mm -hmm. They're just people. So representation matters a lot.
0: Yeah. No, that's so true. I mean, you see all the time how many Christians have said, oh, I I had to bail because – I got to know some gay people and I was like geez these people are not the evil person my pastor told me right they're running around killing people in back alleys because gay people are evil and it's like that was first of all you probably overplayed your hand um (laughs) but second of all you know no of course um and so yeah absolutely I think you're you're spot on I'm gosh the amount of times I heard words like the gay agenda or whatever and things like that from my pastors and um and and it was farcical to me because I had people that I in my life that I was like but they're gay and they're just like me and yep. great. Actually a lot of them are much, much nicer and better than yeah. me. Gosh, I'm not that great a person. Um. So yeah, no, absolutely. Bradley, I have loved this conversation. It's been really, really fun. I feel like there's a whole host of things. We didn't even begin to touch on that. We could have gone into and, and uh, a whole world of uh topics that I'm sure we could talk about forever. Um, maybe we'll have you back on at some point in the future, but uh, how can people connect with you? How can people track what you're doing or you're on social media? You've got, you've got a couple podcasts you're involved in. Is that right?
1: So uh, my, my main show is uh, straight white American Jesus. And we, um, we are, we basically have two or three episodes a week. So on Fridays we have a weekly roundup focused on politics. Uh, we have a, an interview show every week uh, for the most part with a scholar of religion, a journalist, an ex evangelical someone. And uh, so that's, you can find us on Twitter at straight white JC. Uh, you can find me at Bradley Onishi you can find us on Instagram uh, under straight white JC as well. And so, yeah, those are my main gigs. I'm writing a book on uh, how white Christian nationalism helped create MAGA Nation, so that'll be out uh, uh, in a in a little while. And um, yeah, that's 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 kind of my main stuff. Um, I'm honored to have been here, Phil. So I just want to say thanks for inviting me and thanks for thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate the work you're doing, and uh, I feel like we're 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 in the same realm, but we have just different roles in that realm uh, in, in some sense. And and I just I really appreciate uh, uh, all you're doing for the community.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you, thank you. And honestly, I appreciate what you're doing. I think that it, what you're you're focusing on and doing is so important. And, and I, I love that you have this amazing passion for for this this world it's exciting to see it's it's exciting to see tackling such really important topics as well it's, it's it's such important work and and i've heard from so many people you know i talk to people day in day out and so many of them mention your podcast they mention oh. what you're doing um so absolutely um and you've got a couple of other books that are out already as well do you want to give them a bit of a plug and so people oh. know what they're about because some of them touch on some of the stuff we've talked about right yeah, they do. I mean, I I, my, I have a book out called The Socrality of
1: the Secular. That's from Columbia University Press. I will warn you, uh, it's a very boring book. So Is it more if, you academic? Want, if you want to read some heavy philosophy, I, yeah, I have a lot of friends who are like, oh, I'm going to get your book and read it, man. And I'm like, no, you're not. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> get a beer, go to the beach and enjoy your life. Don't read that book. I would rather That's you sweet. read. I, I, you know, I published um, an op, a couple of op-eds in The New York Times on uh, these issues i just published a, a piece at the revealer on evangelical masculinity in the wake of the atlanta massacre um and uh it, there's a whole section on god's penis so hey if nothing else Perfect. uh check that out um so check out the writing at the new york times check out the writing at the revealer check out the writing at the huff post the conversation i wrote about the soulmate myth um that that stuff is is probably more exciting than uh, a book more, about more accessible uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always like, on the lookout for more accessible writing, let's be yeah, honest. We all, I, right? <laughs> Even when you're I, in academia, you're like, oh, thank God,
1: there's less footnotes in this. I, I am not above <laughs> saying I wrote a very boring book and that's how it goes. That's what that's what happened. <laughs> that's <funny. laughs>
0: and, and Do you have a way for people to support you? Do you have a Patreon or something
1: like that? We do. We could always use your support. If you go to straightwhiteamericanjesus.com, you'll find our uh, Patreon and you'll find our PayPal. And um, we're, we have some big changes coming up and uh, that support will mean uh more than ever uh, as we move forward so
0: yeah perfect so make sure you do that as well everyone listening so yeah don't buy his book send him yeah <laughs> Patreon. No, no, no. <laughs> do whatever you want do whatever you want i love but, it i love it yeah. bradley this has been fantastic uh, i really enjoyed it hopefully we'll, we'll stay in touch i'll let you know when it comes out It'll probably in a week or so maybe two weeks um i'm getting a bit more on top of my schedule i got a bit close i got got close to the wire but uh yeah no yeah. no no just <laughs> let me know
1: and I'll, I'll i'll promote it as best i can i will um sure. I'll send you this file here in a little bit. And Oh, um, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Okay. Wonderful. Thanks, Phil. Well, have a good one, man. Enjoy right, the rest you of your day. Too. All right. Peace. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.
0: All right. So that was Bradley Onishi from the Straight White American Jesus podcast. And I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. I'd encourage you to shoot Bradley a message. Let him know that you loved it. Shoot him a tweet. He's over on Twitter. You can get um, the Straight White American Jesus account is straightwhitejc.com on Twitter and on Instagram. And Bradley's personal is Bradley Onishi. And that's on Twitter and Instagram as well. I'll put links to that uh, below in the show note. Of course, check out their podcast. Um, it's great stuff. Well worth checking out. And uh as always, check out the deconstruction network.com connect with other people that are deconstructing your local area if you want to support what we're doing if you want to join our more private community um, you can do that at patreon.com slash phil sale or phil slash partner next week we've got alice gretchen i'm excited to talk to her again it was a great conversation um i say i'm excited to talk to her i've already had a conversation with her i'm excited for you to hear it um but yeah that was a great conversation um and i really am looking forward to getting that in all of your hands um as i said i'm still kind of not 100 i'm probably not going to be as on it with instagram dms and things like that but do if you need to reach out shoot me a dm i'll get back to you when i am able um i should be back up and running at some point i'm sure um but yeah i, I miss you all I, I'm i've really missed taking a week off and i missed interacting with you all missed connecting with you um sharing funny memes having a laugh and all of that and and missed all of you as well on the On the Patreon group um I'm looking forward to kind of diving in a bit more this week and and having some good chats on uh, the voice chat and um, video chat as well so yeah um have a good one everyone I love you all sorry I'm I'm, I'm a bit out of it if I'm honest and so if if this uh intro and and the the preamble after this uh, podcast sounds like I'm completely off my head I think I am I'm I'm just not really 100% with it so sorry about that um But I love you all um, and and I do miss you all and I I hope you're doing uh, well. Peace.